All right, get your Bibles out. Genesis chapter 25. So last week we finished chapter 24, and the whole chapter was about finding a bride for Isaac. Because Isaac is the child of the promise. Remember God had Abraham and um, Sarah wait 20 years before God provides this child of the promise. And then... Uh, Abraham is told to sacrifice him. We read, we studied that story. He's 30 years old. Uh, at 40, he's still not married and he's supposed to be the child of the promise. So you're going to have to have another kid. We don't, they don't know how far down the line it's going to be before Jesus shows up, before the Messiah shows up. But if we're going to have a child of the promise, we got to have a wife and we got to have another baby. And Isaac's 40 and not married. So if we finally get him married. Abraham dies, and from 40 to 60, God is silent. In fact, Rebekah is barren. Now, you see this story all throughout Scripture because I think two reasons. Number one, God is in charge of timing. Scripture says God opens the womb, God closes the womb. God's very clear about who's in charge of life, even though our culture can't even define life. It's an interesting thing, but... um, Satan doesn't want this child to be born. You need to understand that. Because if there's not a child born from Isaac and Rebekah, we've shut off the whole pipeline for a Messiah to show up. Right? So all through the line, you'll run into barren women where God has to do a miracle. And then when none of that works, God continues to open wombs. Then we get to Herod when Jesus is born. And Herod has him kill all of the all the male children two years old and younger in Bethlehem so that he can kill Jesus and actually stop the whole line of the Messiah. If you go to Bethlehem today, I'll take you the grave of those children. There's a grave of nothing but two-year-old male bodies. It's underneath one of the churches there. It's crazy. So Satan is trying to prevent this pregnancy from taking, taking place. And all it says at the beginning of chapter 25... It says, Isaac prayed for Rebekah to have a baby. Now, that's how God records things. But Isaac prayed for 20 years. Did he yell? Did he scream? Did he cry? Did he beg? I'm guessing all of that. I'm guessing he and God had some real shootouts. However, all it says is, Isaac prayed. Now, most of us, again, we want an answer. God, I prayed 30 seconds ago. What is the problem here? Yeah, God waits. God waits this enormous amount of time, 20 years, until God says, now is the time. And usually it's when it looks like it's absolutely impossible. That's when God steps on the stage. Now, God told Isaac after she gets pregnant, he said, well, here's the deal. He said, there's two countries inside your wife's womb, and the older will serve the younger. That's a weird statement. Paul quotes it in Romans 9. What is significant about that is the fact that in the Middle East, then and today, the oldest son gets everything. All right? Now, I'm an oldest son, so I'm in with this. All right? The oldest son inherits everything. Now, he can do whatever he wants. He can share. He can be a good guy. But there is no division of spoils. Twelve kids, we divided twelve ways. It doesn't work that way. The oldest son gets everything. But God said, there's two in your 
wife's womb, and the older will serve the younger. And we're about to look at how that plays out. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we shall read it and explain it. So when the time came for Rebekah to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. All right, I'm going to help you here. In Hebrew, Esau means Harry. So if you're named Harry, there you go. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now that word means supplanter or better translated deceiver. And for the rest of Jacob's life, Jacob is pretty much a liar. So if you're thinking, man, that bloodline of Jesus must be really good. No, the bloodline of Jesus is full of people just like us. All broken people. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the open country. While Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And that's why he's also called Edom. Edom is the country that he will become. That's on the eastern side of the Jordan. And Edom means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. You can be seated. The word there means he hated, it means he didn't care about, he gave no thought to the end, the end of the game. Now, I will tell you, as we go through the rest of Genesis, Esau has a good life. Doesn't have a bad life. But what Esau forfeited was his place in God's plan. I really think we should be talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, rather than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because Esau is the firstborn and the story's so crazy because how many of you have been hungry before? All right. And you've asked somebody to make something for you to eat. All right. Be honest. All right. We've all done that. Although my wife tells me I can make sandwiches myself. Um, but never once has anybody said to me, hey, I'll be happy to make you a sandwich if you'll sign over your entire inheritance to me. Nobody's ever said that to me. Which leads me to believe that Jacob's been plotting this for a long time. No telling how many pots of stews he's made. Waiting for his moment. Because this didn't come out of nowhere. And it's not like Isaac is forfeiting a house and some land and the goats and the sheep. This is about the spiritual inheritance that he has. He's supposed to be in the line of the Messiah. It should be Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he despised his birthright. Now here's my question. And everybody's got to answer this for themselves. What is the value of your soul? 
Only you can answer that question for you. I can't answer it for you. You're here at church. That's great. You're watching online. That's great. But that doesn't tell me how you actually value your soul. And the question is this. What would it take to get you to sell out your soul? Because that's what Satan is after. And here's what's happening in the modern church today. And we'll just... When a church changes its values to match the current culture, it's no longer following the God of the Bible. It's following the God of this world. And sadly, that's where so many churches are. And because people will go to church to hear what they want to hear. Peter said it this way. He said, at the end times, people will want you to scratch their ears. Just tell them what they want to hear And they'll leave happy. If you leave church and something hasn't stuck you a little bit, you haven't been in church. You haven't heard the gospel. You haven't read the Bible. You haven't heard preaching. If something doesn't hurt when you leave. If you go out feeling all good and fluffy, I failed you. Because the word of God is a perfect God and a perfect book working on imperfect people. So if you leave here, you're telling me you're perfect. Or I failed you. Now let me just tell you, all right? When I grew up, I grew up in a real small house in Missouri, 900 square feet. And um, we have a picture here. Yeah, it was kind of like that. Uh, it wasn't quite uh, that pretty, but it was, it was kind of like that. Um, and um, a, a year or so ago, I was home in my hometown. And I drove by the house. And I, you ever get that nostalgic feeling? And I thought, I'd just like to see, you know, what it's like inside. Because, you know, I grew up there. I had a bedroom in there. Uh, I don't really remember all the details. But I went to, knocked on the door, and I said, you know, I grew up here, you know, back in the 60s. Could I just come in? Has anybody ever done that? Go back to see the house that you grew up in? Um, yeah, and it's a little town, you know. And, and, and uh, the owner says, no, absolutely not. Well, that's not what I really expected. I mean, my mom can be so mean. (laughs) She's watching this service. Love you, mom. Um, All right. So let's talk about, let's talk about what in today's culture causes people to forfeit their eternal destinies, okay? Number one. And and I think really probably all three of these fit together, but maybe one of them fits you more than the other. The first one's money. And Paul warned about this. You know, Jesus talks more about money than any other subject in the entire Bible. He talks about money, I think, three or four or five times more than he talks about heaven. Very interesting. Because he knew it would be a replacement God for him. He knew that people would replace our relationship with God. We would sell out our spiritual birthright over money. And there's nothing wrong with money. But here's the problem. The word that Paul uses is the word content. Now, I asked this question last night at 4.30, and I was the only discontented person in the whole room. Does anybody here deal with a problem with being content? All right, a couple honest people, at least I'm not alone. That makes me feel better. See, I love my house till I see yours. And then there's a pull. 
there's a pull between I feel guilty because I want your house instead of mine. But then I think about Esther and the homes that people live in in Togo. And I feel guilty that I live in the house that I do live in. That's the problem with discontentment. Instead of learning to be content and say, you know what, God's blessed me. And again, there's nothing wrong with having a house either way. But is it got to be bigger, better, more, faster car, better car? I love my car till I see yours. And that's the whole point of discontentment. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.10, he said, the love of money is the root of all evil. You can see that in our government. You see that in businesses, greed. You see this kind of stuff everywhere. And it's not money. Money's a good thing. Money's meant to help people. Money's meant to pay your electric bill. Money does great things. Without money, you can't pay for this baseball game. There's a whole lot of reasons that money's a good thing. But he said the love of money. And how many people have forfeited their spiritual birthright because they've made money their actual God? Let me show you this this contract that we were able to get our hands on. You probably know these names, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, but you may not know Ron Wayne. Uh, These were the three founders of Apple. In uh, 68, I think, they founded it in the garage. But in 1976... Ron Wayne decided he wanted out. So this is the document that they signed. And Ron Wayne sold a third. He had a third share in Apple. And he sold his share to Steve Jobs. For $800. It would currently be worth $270 billion. Now, don't you know his wife maybe is mentioning that to him from, <laughs> from time to time. Now, I mean, so what, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, I got to make the Pinto payment here in 1976? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. I have no idea. Maybe he just thought the $800 can be invested somewhere else. But here's what I do know. That we are so invested in this world that we forget that all this world's gonna go bye-bye. You're gonna leave it, you're gonna die and leave it, it's gonna burn up, a hurricane's gonna come get it, a flood's gonna come get it, it's gonna rust, it's gonna rot. Somehow, everything physically that we hold dear is gonna be gone, and are you willing to sell your soul for that? The second part, to be real honest, it's sex. And I'm amazed at how many people in our society will sell their soul over this, that how much of the culture is dominated by sex itself and the topic of sex. And we're, we're going to get into, we're going to get real serious about this. But again, I'm amazed that people will sell their souls down the river for a physical act that is for a brief period of time. So we're going to put Galatians chapter 5 up on the screen. And I'm going to talk about that, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5 because I want you to see it in context, all right? So flip your Bibles there. If you've got an iPhone, that'll make your life a lot easier. First, uh, Second Corinthians, Galatians. Come on, Joe. There we go. All right. All right. So we're going to, I, I want to read this. I want to read this to you because I want you to get the whole, the whole story, all right? So this is what it says in Galatians 5. It says, the acts of the sinful nature 
Right. Sin's what separates us from God, yes? The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. That's on the screen. Okay, here's the rest of the list. Idolatry, that would be greed. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did Paul miss anybody here in the room? Did we get everybody? So everybody has to admit at this point you're guilty. That without Jesus, we're all going to hell. We've got to repent from our sins. All right. I mean, I'll own several of these. Let's see. I'll take selfishness. I'll take uh, fits of rage. I'll take envy. All right. But we're all guilty. Right? We're not picking on any. Paul's very clear. He says, now, this, the other side is very obvious as well. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Mm. Mm-mm. All right. But let me break this down for you. All right. And this is uh, for you lazy preachers that are watching online. I did the work for you. Okay. So I'm going to break, I'm going to break this down. All right. Sexual immorality. That is any sexual relationship outside of a marriage bond between a male and a female. That's sex before marriage. That's adultery in a marriage. It, it's, it fits into any category. God's very clear about how we're to behave. Okay. Impurity. This word. And you're welcome to challenge me. Look it up in the Greek. It literally condemns male-on-male relationships, female-on-female relationships, and people and animal relationships. Then he throws in this word, debauchery. And that is to include everything else. If you thought these two had problems... This is every kind of perverted thing you could imagine. This is children. This is other animals. This is, it's, it's a very terrible word. Then he comes back to it again in one sentence four times. The last one is the word orgy. So four times in this sentence, Paul deals with sexual sin and talks about the fact that people are selling their souls over sexuality. Do you see any of that in our culture today? Sexuality has become their religion. Sexuality has become, I mean, can you imagine? All right, 1980. Hey, Dad, it's heterosexual night at the ballpark, so I'm going. My dad would go, I don't know what's going on, but you're not going. Doesn't matter what it is, you're not going. The Dodgers, right? If you're following this story, this is the craziest story. Okay, They're, they've invited the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. If you don't know this story, good for you. I didn't put their pictures up here because I'm not giving them press. It is a group of transgender men who dress up like nuns, do satanic rituals, and mock the Catholic Church and Christianity. The Dodgers are having a night for them at the stadium. Two players have spoken up. One of them is Clayton Kershaw, who is a sold-out Christian. They asked Clayton one time, they said, Clayton, if you would be anything else but a pitcher, what would you be? He said, I'd be a missionary. And so they cut his conversation short every time. 
Clayton confronted the Los Angeles Dodgers. Think about that. He said, this is absolutely wrong. And he said, this has got to stop. But they're going to they're go on with it. What has happened to us? And you, here's what my deal is. Look, okay, you, you boys are so tough. Because you know we're not going to fight back. Christians don't fight back. Why don't you dress up like Muhammad and go to the mosque? Why don't you play that game at the mosque and see what happens to you? But it's always Jesus. Now listen to me. It's because they're terrified of Jesus. They're terrified of him. But they literally, their religion is sex. And you all know my story. I told you, I don't cry. Occasionally at a good baseball movie, I might shed a tear. But when my dad died at the funeral, I cried for a minute. I've cried a couple times since for about a minute. It's just me. I'm not saying anybody else should do it my way. Because grieving is, 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 you know, dad's with Jesus and I'm okay with that. Um, I don't cry. But last weekend after I finished the service, I went into my office and I just sat at my desk and I cried. And I cried for a generation that has exchanged the love of God for a worship of sexuality. And it's a tragic story. Do you know, do you know that if, if male and females, I'm going to help you out, that anything we would like to change places with, ladies, if you need a, a finger, and I have doctors here in the room, I think they'll confirm this. Uh, my finger, if you x-ray my finger, it looks just like your finger. You want a toe? My toe looks just like your toe. You need a heart transplant? My heart will fit in your, in your, your body, ladies. It's, it's all, it's all the same. There's only one part of our anatomy that's different. Doctors, you can't answer. It's the pelvic bone. The women's pelvic bone is a little bit wider. It's almost like the female was designed to have a baby. Who knew? Who knew? All right? I mean, we can't define woman. We can't define baby. Uh, the only part of the male anatomy that you cannot transplant is the pelvic bone. How about that? And yet we have people who are selling out their souls, trying to be something that God never intended them to be, which leads us to the last part, and that is pride. And I know what God meant when he wrote this verse, but I think it's very interesting that names that groups take because it comes through history and God has a way of connecting. Proverbs 11 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. So we go back to this story with Esau, and Esau has everything. Esau is in the line of the Messiah. He will be, dude, your your name will be synonymous in history with the Messiah. But not now. Now we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And while Esau had a decent life, his, his story is an afterthought. Because he forfeited his birthright. And I like this quote. It said that Eve found that what the snake said to her, he found, Eve found that more trustworthy than what God said to her. Not because of Satan's credentials, but because the serpent told her what she wanted to hear. And you want to be very careful when people tell you what you want to hear versus what God really 
is saying. So, yes, Jacob's a liar and a deceiver, but the problem is here, Esau sold out his eternity. He sold out his place in the history of God. Only you and I can decide what our soul is worth. And you've got to look at your own life and say, where am I selling it short? Where am I selling out my soul? Where do I need to get it back on track? If you need to accept Jesus, there'll be folks down front. If you're online, you hit the button. I've decided. But I'm going to finish with this quote. Uh, Steve Larson said, the greatest joy is to know Jesus. The second greatest joy is to make him known. So, Father, as we ponder the things that sometimes we struggle with replacing you, selling out our birthright, selling out our souls, I pray that you would speak to us, whatever it is. Because there's probably specific things. It might fit into one of the categories we talked about, but it's probably something very specific. So, Lord, I ask you to speak as only you can to our souls today. In Jesus' name, amen.